HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. HRN has a brand new look, but we're sharing the same delicious stories. Invest in the future of food radio by becoming a monthly sustainable member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for joining us for this hour of Eat Your Heartland Out. I'm your host, Capri Cafaro. On today's show, we meet refugee chefs who now call the United States their home. In Milwaukee, Tables Across Borders brings the community together through food with a variety of events that spotlight the talents of refugee chefs. In Missoula, Montana, right outside the Midwest, we meet the founder of Soft Landing Missoula, an organization that supports refugees through their United We Eat program. Now we welcome our first guest, Pam Font Gable, the director of Home Dish in Omaha, Nebraska, along with a special guest who will be joining her and who will share her personal story as a refugee chef. Pam, we, we really appreciate you uh, joining the show today. And we also have uh, a special guest with you as well, uh, who's one of the chefs uh, with Home Dish. And we're going to be speaking to her in a little bit. Uh, but first, I, I wanted to uh, have you kick it off and talk a little bit about um, how Home Dish came to be. What was, what was the inspiration for putting this uh, organization together? Sure. Well, thank you again for having us. We're really excited to be here. We're in Omaha, Nebraska, where, believe it or not, there are thousands and thousands of refugees living. Home Dish started um, very simply because of the population that we work with. The organization that I work with, um, Benson Area Refugee Task Force, which will soon be changing names to Refugee Women Rising, is um, the umbrella to the Home Dish Project. The Benson Refugee Group has um, worked for years providing um, services for refugees in Omaha, but Home Dish began because we started seeing more and more women becoming involved with our programming. A lot of refugee women that were being resettled, obviously um, they were living below the poverty line, they had limited proficiency in English. They, the jobs that they were able to get were in meatpacking, um, which is big in Nebraska. Right. But that wasn't necessarily what their strengths and, and, and what their desires were. Sure. So we started visiting people in their homes and saying, 
you know, how are you? How, how are you feeling being resettled? What do you need help with? What do you want to do? And that's a really hard question, I think, especially for women, because oftentimes in their homelands, at least where these women were coming from, they aren't celebrated. They aren't encouraged. They aren't given the same op- educational opportunities. And so, but every time we went to somebody's house, we were immensely greeted um, just over the top, very familiarly, without reservation, always with food. And so we began to think like, wow, people are talking about these challenges that they're having, this loneliness that they're feeling being resettled, because although it is a wonderful thing, it's incredibly difficult as well. But traditional foods, um, you know, that their mothers and their aunties and their grandmothers had taught them and that they continued to prepare brought a lot of comfort. And so we thought, wow, they have these gifts and these talents. Omaha's um, known as a foodie community. Let's bring these two together. Well, what a great idea because, you know, not only is, is you know, food uh, and cooking a way to, you know, bring people together and, and start conversations, but it's also a way to um, educate people uh, about different cultures and communities as well. And it sounds like there's, you know, quite a bit of diversity as far as the different refugee communities that are present uh, in Omaha. Um, you know, give us an example of, of you know, the type of uh, communities that may be present there as far as uh, newly settled uh, refugees in, in Omaha and in Nebraska. Sure. Um this is an amazing fact. Um, Nebraska actually has the largest Sudanese population outside of the country of Sudan. Mm-hmm. Um, and Omaha itself, um, which is the largest city, um, resettles more refugees per capita than L.A. and New York City combined. Wow. So there are massive um, communities of refugees here. Um, and even just to name a few, Corinne, Karini. Nepalese, Bhutanese, Afghan, Ethiopian, Thai, Chin, Sudanese, South Sudanese, Somali, Iraqi, Iranian, Burundi, Congolese. Should I wow. keep going? <laughs> well, I mean, look, and, and I can just, you know, imagine the different flavors that and the different culinary traditions that each one of these uh, communities has, has brought with them. Uh, give us a snapshot. Um, pre-COVID, and then we'll talk a little bit about post or during COVID, of how a home dish event would work. So bring us into this, you know, this process and the homes that are opened up, uh, connecting together refugee women um, and, you know, other women in the community in Omaha. Sure. Um, And I'm glad that you brought that up, Capri, about women, um, because, Um, Traditionally, home dish dinners have only been by and for women because that's who we want to uplift and celebrate. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, women feel safer uh, speaking with other women rather um, than in a group full of men, especially in more traditional cultures. Sure. So how an event actually works is uh, we choose a cuisine which we have um, dozens to choose from, which we're so lucky. We secure a host. And what I mean by that is we host home dish dinners in people's homes. That's part of the intimacy, building the community. Women around the city have emailed and called 
um, because they've heard about it and they say, I want to open my own home for a dinner. And um, we welcome that. So um, we secure a host. Then we meet the chefs. We always have a, a pre-dinner meeting with the chefs. Um, we hire two chefs per dinner. We like to have no more than between 25 and 30 women at the dinners. And uh, we hire an interpreter. We go to the women's homes. Sometimes they speak English. Sometimes they don't. It doesn't matter because we are there to, to really look at, at their gifts as women, not as American women, not as an English speaker, not as a somebody with a professional job here, although they very well may have those things that they have done in their home countries. Sure. So when we do these pre-dinner visits, they're incredibly important because we talk a little bit more about the program. Uh, women often have questions and say, well, I'm a good cook, but I don't know if I'm comfortable talking. Or, oh, I can talk and talk, but, you know, my aunt really does all the cooking. So, you know, <laughs> there's always these uh, nuances around that. Um, we, again, we talk about the program. We do a photo and an interview. We curate a menu together because we really want people to enjoy things that they've never had before. And at the same time, we want the refugee women who are cooking to be cooking foods that are familiar to them. Right. To, you know, again, recipes that have been passed down that most people probably aren't familiar with at all. Sure. And so I think this is a great time to bring in um, one of the chefs to talk, um, you know, explicitly about their experience. Um, and so I want to welcome uh, Kubra to the conversation. Kubra, thank you so much for, for being with us as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy and glad to meet you. Well, we're excited to to meet you as well today and to, to hear about your story. Um, I understand that uh, you are Afghan and uh, obviously there in, in Nebraska. Um, tell us about your experience with Home Dish and, and um, how you got linked up with, with the program. So uh, first time in 2000, I think it's, it was 2018, uh, when Pam came to my house uh, uh, with a Glamour magazine interview. So on that time, we met uh, with each other. And she told me about this uh, home dish program, like uh, we have to cook and we were going to meet uh, uh, different people, like from different occupation, I mean. <laughs> so um, uh, she told me and, and I was so happy. And of course, like uh, being isolated in here too, like no family mm -hmm. and new with culture, new uh, uh, system of um, uh, like system of organizing things. <laughs> I, so here, uh, and I want someone to talk and someone to meet and know more about the culture and tradition. So they, uh, she said, okay, you have to meet with many people. You will talk about your uh, tradition. I said, okay. Um, and when I cooked and went there, I, I meet many, many people from uh, different uh, occupation. Like uh, there was lawyer, there was a doctor, there was many different, and they, they were so nice to me. I I feel so happy because um, since I was in in America in, from 2016, I um, 
like I hate uh, some people, like, like I meet with some people, I have some, some people to talk, but not a lot. And especially not a lot of like American friends uh, over there. I made like, uh, it's still like, from, it is 2021 and still I meet uh, with them and talk to them. And we, we, we are become a good friend from starting from over there, like from when I cooked. That's wonderful. So, you know, it sounds like because of the opportunity with Home Dish being able to cook for, uh, you know, this group of, of, of women that you've made long lasting friendships, which, you know, has, has made your time in, in the United States uh, that much better. What is Home Dish really has it? What has it meant to you? And, and, um, I think more it, uh, to the point as well. How do you feel that food has helped? connect you to this new community so basically it is sharing of tradition tradition traditional food uh, when they when they uh, uh, like eat it and they are asking how you make it how you uh, uh, like uh, make it and which time of the year you make it a lot like uh, there is many dessert we uh, we we make on only uh, not only like mostly at the, our festivals, and uh, I made on that time, and they were asking about our tradition, and and uh, like say asking like when you are making it, and which time of the year, and <laughs> so like making a friend and uh, being uh, more social in in uh, after like um, meeting with Pam and uh, cooking for home dish, uh, uh, making friends and like. Uh, so making friends and, and sharing our tradition and experiencing uh, their own, uh, because they are telling their own story as well. So experiencing their own tradition and they give a lot of a good feedback, which make us more like uh, enthusiastic to go uh, forward. Don't stop. There is tons of things to do. So they just give uh, uh, a lot of courage to us. Like since... Uh, I joined Homejish. I I I'm being more active. Like I know I have to go to school. I have to make my English more better. And uh, I feel like I I'm progressing, but still I'm struggling. <laughs> You're doing so, great. Yeah, it's, it's like I'm still like uh, I get admission to school well since I joined uh, um, Homejish because before that I was just home and uh, just be a full-time mother and a housewife, nothing else. I was thinking that this is the whole world. But when I, since I joined them, there is, they, uh, they give me like uh, uh, um, courage to go. And they always say, Kubra, you can do that. You can do that. Go, for, just follow your dream. And I started and I'm successful in following my dream, like, the things that I want to get admission in school or uh, working outside of my home or just being out of home and hang out with my friends. I did everything. So it makes me, it changed me a lot toward uh, my goal. How incredible that, that something as simple as cooking a meal can, you know, create that kind of environment to, to build uh, that courage, like you said, to, um, you know, do other things, to follow your dreams, to, uh, you know, think 
uh, and approach things in a different way. Um, and I, I think that's that's really what um, attracted me to learning more about this home dish program because it just seemed so incredibly innovative um, to, you know, use food to connect refugee women with the larger community. Um, and, and as Pam has said, you know, lift, lift women up. Um, and so I, I want to just real quick, uh, talk to Pam, uh, about now what has happened during, uh, COVID with Home Dish. And, and Cooper, you can add in if you have anything else to add. But, um, Pam, what has happened now? Cause obviously with social distancing and with lockdowns and everything, um, I'm sure that, you know, being able to con- congregate 25 or so people in someone's home is not really happening. So how did you all adapt to the new normal while still continuing the mission of Home Dish? To be perfectly honest, at the beginning, it was uh, devastation and just this deer in the headlights fear, um, because how was it going to continue? How were um, we going to support our chefs um, through this amazing program and yet not be able to physically gather because the intimacy, these mutual benefits and these conversations and shared food, that was at the heart of what Home Dish was. And all of a sudden we couldn't do that, right? specifically because of public health. So we decided um, at the beginning, we were going to support our chefs in different ways that were unfamiliar to our organization, but it was what our chefs needed. Um, I'm talking about things like emergency response through cash assistance, right. um, you know, celebrating Ramadan in different ways with them, mm-hmm. partnering with other refugee service organizations and doing things like uh, providing cleaning supplies, household supplies, weekly food pantries, um, vast amounts of masks. Um, You know, also all of a sudden jobs that uh, women had, you know, this is not unique to Nebraska, all around the country, all of a sudden now women were more disproportionately being stuck in their homes and having to give up their employment or losing their employment more caring for their children, trying to do remote learning. Right. All this was incredibly challenging. But we realized, too, we had ways to continue uplifting women. Um, We started doing home dish dinners to go, um, which, to tell you the truth, we were a little skeptical at first because all of a (laughs) sudden now, you know, of course, we all want to support local restaurants like we can, right, through carryout. But part of home dish is... um, really building a relationship and that wasn't going to be possible. Um, But so we, the home dish to go dinners have been incredibly successful. Men are actually included on these now Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, where they hadn't been in the past. Um, We, the chefs still cook the foods in their homes. We uh, box the food up all together. Um, We have a curbside service. People pull up. They actually still get to meet the chefs. We still do this beautiful pamphlet, um, a bilingual menu, the stories and photos of the chefs. Um, so that's how we've ad- adapted for now. And right. um, a lot of our women also can sew. Right. And I, actually, I'm going to let Kubra talk I a little bit about I was just going to say, Kubra, I really want to hear about now. this. <laughs> yes. So uh, when the COVID started and our home dish uh, dinner was stopped, kind of stopped, because we don't know what we have to do uh, and be, and uh, with the extra caution for the, this health 
So we uh, and I saw the ad like uh, on the news uh, uh, that uh, don't buy a mask. Let the mask you uh, the health worker use the mask. So it come in my mind. So I just when Pam called me, I said, uh, can we make mask right now? <laughs> so mm-hmm. from there it started and uh, we uh, make uh, almost uh, for. Five, more than 5,000 masks, uh, uh, we seal masks and give to refugee wa- families who ever don't know how to seal. Most of them, they, they know how to seal. So they are, include like children and adult face masks. Uh, and we hire a refu- uh, refugee female to seal the, the uh, mask and we pay for uh, their work. Uh, like almost uh, we did um, uh, for for five months, like it, it was during starting of the COVID uh, till like in uh, 2020, starting of the COVID. And after like four or five months, we did that project because we, uh, we don't want to do with food. And uh, it was the other way to help uh, refugee females uh, because they do, they most of them, they lost their job, most of them, uh, they were uh, working, but they're scared. You know, this uh, social media, they put a lot of uh, uh, wrong information. So mm-hmm. everyone get scared, including me. Of course. Uh, like that was, and uh, hours were reduced. And that was the extra income um, to put toward our rent and um, and our other expenses. It was a huge help. Even for myself, it was a huge help when I see uh, that mask. So many people, like, uh, after when we are done with that project, again, they are asking, can, do you have face masks to see more? That's that's wonderful. I mean, what what an incredible way to just, you know, utilize a, another kind of skill that, that you have to be able to help your your friends and neighbors now. Um, what's so what's next, uh, Cooper, for you as are you still are you going to be cooking again anytime soon for Home Dish? So, yeah, <laughs> of course, I love to do that. Uh uh, yeah, because uh, every month uh, it is from different co- community and from different uh, like country. Uh, uh, we are uh, we cook uh, we pick every month different country, so it will take time for for Afghanistan to come again back. Right, <laughs> it turn so we give a equal opportunity to every country uh, that they also uh, cook and uh, share their meals. Uh, with the community. So yeah, of course, I, I, I love to do that again. Something else that we're going to um, continue with our home dish chefs, especially as um, refugee women rising become stronger. Um, and we have been getting more grant support, which has been incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been engaging women in um, urban organic gardening teaching, um, culinary, there's a specialized culinary training program through this dynamic nonprofit called No More Empty Pots. Oh, wow. Um, we have worked with them and uh, with interpreters, you know, if, if there's things in the kitchen or, or things that they're trying to learn that they don't understand, it's all right. It, you don't have to speak English. You know, it's learning by experience and learning through your own language. Um, we are going to be working more on kitchen ESL and microfinance opportunities and leadership programming because these are things that women have asked for. 
Well, the sky is the limit, particularly when when it is a collaborative partnership and and you know people are listening to one another, um, and and food seems to be that that door and that opportunity to not only build bridges but again build futures. Um, uh, Pam and Kubra, thank you both for spending some time with us on Eat Your Heartland Out, and we're excited to see uh, everything that comes for for uh, both of you and for the organization in the future. HRN is excited to unveil the new look of Food Radio. We have a new brand identity and a new website. Our site makes it easier than ever to discover both new podcasts and dig through the archive of 16,000 episodes. It's been 11 years since HRN started broadcasting Food Radio, and we've made it this far thanks to the support of our global listening community. It's because of member donations that Eat Your Heartland Out is on the air along with 40 other weekly shows. Your contributions gave HRN the security we needed to stay on the airwaves during the pandemic and are allowing us to reopen our studios. Becoming a monthly sustaining member of HRN shows me how much Eat Your Heartland Out and Food Radio means to you. At HRN, we're investing in the future of food radio. To do the same, become a monthly sustaining member of HRN. A gift of $5 or $10 a month gives our community the consistent stability it needs to keep the voice of America's food movement alive and thriving. Become a monthly sustaining member at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome back to Eat Your Heartland Out. We're now joined by Kai Gardner-Mishlove, Director of Tables Across Borders in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, we have some special guests today on the show joining us to talk about how um, food can bring together uh, communities that are very diverse, refugee communities in the Midwest. And so uh, we are joined uh by Kai, who's going to talk to us about um, Tables Across Borders. Kai, thank you for joining us. And tell me a little bit about the concept of Tables Across Borders and how it came to be. Thank you very much for hosting us. Basically, Tables Across Borders is a um, global uh, exploration and highlight of the local cuisines of refugee communities in the Milwaukee area. The concept came about due to um, back in uh, for several years, basically, I was a volunteer working in refugee communities. And during that time that I would conduct home visits, I would have the opportunity to taste various foods. People mm. welcomed me and were very gracious and offered me, you know, meals that were sometimes simple, sometimes extremely elaborate and through that, I learned a lot about the different cultures. So in one week, I may have visited, you know, 10 different countries. I would have eaten with the Rohingya community, Burmese community, Congolese community, Eritrea, Ethiopian, Syrian, Karen, Venezuelan, Somali, wow. and Serbian community. It was just amazing to me. And I was so struck by the graciousness and so struck by the welcome that was extended to me. And I thought, 
I would love to bring more awareness about refugee communities and the contributions in some kind of way. So I spoke to a friend, Sehee Chang, who had a Korean food business and asked her for advice for what we could do. And we decided to um, set up some pop-ups in the Milwaukee area. She introduced me to three restaurants, um, the owners of three restaurants, Amalinda Restaurant owned by Gregory Leon, um, Trickleby Restaurant Cafe owned by the Reverend Christy Melby Gibbons, and Tandem Restaurant owned by Caitlin Cullen. And so when we explained to them what we wanted to do, they were all ecstatic about it and said, yes, let's do this. You know, all of them were very gracious. And we decided to host um, three or four different events per refugee community at each one of their locations. So we rotated it. It was mm-hmm. very much a community affair. And refugee, even though one refugee cuisine might have been uh, presented at that dinner at that specific restaurant other refugee communities would come out to help. Mm. So it was really, really amazing. And, you know, what I liked about it is I felt like it was building awareness about the positive contributions of refugee communities. And also it was assisting, uh, you know, budding chefs in becoming chefs and honing their skills. Many folks were chefs back home or were used to cooking for large, you know, uh, you know, large sections of their, of their community. And this was a way to bring everyone together. I just love this concept. And speaking of, of uh, budding chefs, I want to now bring in May Pa, who uh, is one of the chefs that uh, has participated in these pop-ups for uh, Tables Across Borders. May, thank you for coming. Um, and uh, share with us your experience um, cooking for uh, Tables Across Borders. Hello, this is May. Thank you for having me here. And it's nice to have you guys here. Um, I was started as a, a, a refugee chef. I started because I know Kai earlier uh, for to the place that I go. And she also will be helping me. So she asked me to translate for uh, one of her current uh, chefs. And I get to know that. And then later on, I also, I really like when I help out at the restaurant too, and they help uh, translate. I really like the idea of like bringing uh, refugees together and showing like the culture and the food of like diversity. So I uh, also participate as a chef and I also learn more about uh, all the community and like what's really beautiful about like their culture and their food. And and I also feel like uh, being part of this uh, group, Table Cross Border, we um, bring our respect for each other's culture and learn about each other's culture. Like we empower each other through mm. this uh, uh, Table Cross Border. So, so how how would you say you uh, empower one another? I think that's a that's a beautiful way to put it. But how do you see that? How do you empower one another and uh, learn from one another in the different uh, refugee communities there in Milwaukee? Um, mostly the chef are women and I think like for, um, I don't know about the culture, but for like, for us, like if women cook at home, it's a, a like a normal thing. Women should cook like that. Right. But when you break up people and they can't share the food, uh, how they cook and smile and you praise them, like, oh, your food is like, oh, so beautiful. It looks so good. Like even when we do it online, like it's kind of like, for me, it's empowering, like, uh, it make you like, oh, you are doing something 
good something that is worthy like when people eat food and and you like okay you feel like rewarded you know and they you also empower other people who cook it's not just like something people do and like you forget about it the next day it's something that it's a portrait it's a player role without the food we would survive you know so something that they do that is important as a for the community too yes you, you're you're being appreciated for um for what you do and what you contribute and for your talents. And that is empowering, no question about it. Uh, so, so, um, what did you make, uh, for you? Did you, so you cooked at one of the pop-ups at one of the restaurants? Um, and, and what did you serve and what did you make for, for, uh, those, those guests at the pop-up? Oh, you know what? I should probably, um, Capri also let you know that, um, the project is kind of a diverse project. We I started see. out as a um, pop-up, but that was pre-COVID. After right. COVID, we pivoted towards food security projects mm. and online cooking events. So um, May participated in those online events and also the food oh. security um, projects as well. Oh, wonderful. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you for clarifying that. So May, then, um, that's really interesting. So did you, you had an opportunity to do some online cooking classes? How did, what did you, what did you do there? Well, the first time we cooked together, we make the samosa. It's a samosa. It's a very, uh, like, I don't know, like, it's very diverse in like all the mostly, it's interesting how each culture like do it in a different way. It's like labeled as the same food, but like the different way that we cook it. So we cook the samosa together and then we each show our ingredient, the different ingredient we use and the different way that we make it. But in the end of the day, we all make like, in the end of the show, we all make a samosa and we, we eat it and we share it together. So it was very wonderful, yeah. Oh, that's that's great. So so who, Kai, who participates in, in these, you know, who attends uh, the, the online cooking classes usually? How, do they, how does the word get out and, and who ends up participating as a, you know, learning how to cook from uh, someone like May. Yes, it's a um, collaboration between Tables Across Borders and the Linden Sculpture Garden. Hmm. Um, They are running a series on displacement and the arts, and it's entitled Home. So we explore what it's like to be, to make a new home in a home that you find yourself in, a new home after being displaced. So basically uh, the, the various tables across borders chefs come together um, in cooking from their respective homes. We decide which dish we're gonna all prepare together based on what translates cross-culturally. So mm-hmm. for example, our first uh, session was the great Sambusa cook-off, community cooking class. Right. And we so we featured chefs from tables cross borders, chefs from the Somali, from the Karen, um, from the Burmese community to come together and cook. And also myself from the New Orleans community. So um, we cooked together. We, we awesome. sent out the ingredient list and it, we invite the public to join us on Facebook streaming live on the Tables Across Borders page and also at the Linden Garden, Sculpture Garden page. And it's been really well received. So our second uh, community cooking class was on rice, which many different cultures prepare rice different ways. And the last uh, cooking show we did was on various stews or wats. 
so base Watts, as it's known in Amharic or mm-hmm. in um, Eastern African culture. So basically, we try to pick a chef from different regions of the world to come together and to share their experience of cooking some sort of um, what I call soul food of that community. And our next uh, next cooking show is going to feature desserts. So it's it's been a very wonderful experience. Um, folks, patrons out in the community who are not from refugee communities are very excited to learn. And if you ever watch or view this series, you see how the refugee chefs are all coming together and trading tips mm. and stories with each other. You know, cooking evokes memories of food, of, of home, of your childhood, of how you learned how to cook. And it's been a wonderful experience seeing that being shared with everyone. Well, I'm going to have to find this on on uh, Facebook Live or uh, online because I, it is something that I'm very, very interested in seeing and learning about myself. And I'm sure that, you know, folks in, in our listening audience are as well. Um, because one of the things that you said, you know, you talked about rice, but rice from the different perspectives of different cultures and, and how, you know, one ingredient is being prepared in different manners because of the different, you know, cultures and, and, and those traditions. Same thing with, with stew. And I've actually done a bunch of research actually on, you know, pies and how pies, um, you know, are vary from different place, from place to place, from continent to continent, where there's always something that, you know, resembles a pie, but there's different ingredients, different approaches that are very specific to individual cultures and countries um, that make their uh, specific pie, you know, have have a different yes. kind of bent. And it sounds like that's that is kind of what you're doing, showing that we're all the same, but we bring something very special and different to the table, um, which is what it sounds like Tables Across Borders is all about, which is absolutely amazing. What, so what else, what is next for Tables Across Borders? What else do you have planned? Well, we've been participating in food security projects also with um, Hungry Hearts, which is a project here providing food to folks who are experiencing um, food insecurity. And we're hoping that uh, once things stabilize a little bit better and everyone, you know, things open up more as folks become immunized, that we'll be able to return to some of the global pop-up dinners at the different restaurants. Um, And also we're working on some other projects where, uh, you know, all of the individual chefs also would like to start their own separate businesses. So we're looking in ways to support that. And, you know, what I say about all of this, it's all about the beauty of celebrating each other's uniqueness and at the same time collaborating to work together to highlight just the the global beauty that we all have, the commonalities, yet the uniqueness and what we can bring to each other. You know, I think all the time about the graciousness that was extended to me in visiting homes and being offered food and how often I learned early on that business could not be conducted until you sat down and had coffee with someone or had tea with someone and how important that is and how much it reminded me of my own experience as, you know, a woman of the African and the Jewish diaspora. You know, it brought back Mm -hmm. memories of me sitting with my family, with my grandmother or sitting with my family at Shabbat. And so many of the other cultures that I've come in contact with are doing the same thing. So we share so much. 
we're so much more alike than we are different, and it's building bridges between communities. What a great place to end our conversation, building bridges between communities around the table. Uh, thank you so much, Kai and May, for joining us today and sharing uh, your mission uh, there in Milwaukee to bring together uh, the refugee communities and the Milwaukee community at large. Thanks for being with us. Our final guest this hour is Mary Poole, founder of Soft Landing Missoula, the organization behind United We Eat. Mary, thank you for joining us on Eat Your Heartland Out. You are a very special guest because of where you come from today from the United, in the United States, right a little bit outside of the Midwest uh, in Missoula, Montana. So thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Capri, for having me. It's, it's our pleasure. So I, uh, we want to know about the work that you do at Soft Landing Missoula, um, working with refugees in, in, a, in the community there in Montana. Um, tell us about um, sort of the, the objective of Soft Landing Missoula, and then we'll get into how uh, the organization uses food as, uh, as a way to empower the refugee community. Sure. Yeah. You know, our effort in Missoula started about five years ago. Um, I was um, a new mom at the time and just seeing the images coming across my newsfeed from the Middle East, specifically Syria at the time. And me and a group of friends were just really, as new moms, affected by watching families having to flee war and being displaced. And so we didn't know much at all about refugees. Um, We actually had to Google, like, what is a refugee? (laughs) And um, we just began to educate ourselves and educate our community and kind of ask the bigger question, could Missoula um, be a place that welcomes refugees? And at the time, we were only one of two states in the nation, actually, that didn't have a path to welcome refugees. Wow. And so a primary... Yeah, yeah. And so we just, we as a community, we started plugging away at it. And um, like I said, trying to figure out how how we might go about that path. And um, we ended up inviting the International Rescue Committee, which is a resettlement agency that holds a contract with our federal government to resettle refugees to open an office in Missoula. Um, And so that happened, um, their office actually opened a little over four years ago now. And since then, they do the resettlement piece, which actually, um, you know, is about 30 to 90 days of core services for the families that come. And then we do a lot. (laughs) We do a lot of community building. We have a youth program, a really robust youth program that we run. Um, We have a community center where people can walk in and find a friendly face to help them figure out what their mail says um, and, uh, you know, just do a whole bunch of stuff, reconnect with the community um, in many ways. And then we do this food piece too. So it's been, it's been a wonderful journey over the last uh, five years. Missoula has been able to welcome about 350 individuals. So um, we work with over 50 refugee families here in Missoula. I got to say, I'm blown away. Talk about, you know, being inspired to change lives and actually pulling it off. I mean, the fact that you and a group of moms, you know, kind of were, you know, stirred by the disturbing images that you're seeing and then actually figured out a way 
to reach out and and almost you know recruit uh, refugees to come and resettle in your community of Missoula is really uh, inspiring to me for sure, and I think really shows you know the ingenuity and when when a a group is committed to making change, they really can do it. Um, and uh, now I want to turn a little bit uh, with that backdrop. Uh, to the work that you do in food, which I understand the the program is called United We Eat, which just happens to also be the name of my first cookbook, which is about bringing Americans together through food. Um, and you are you are bringing new Americans together through food. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a wonderful name. You chose well. <laughs> um, yeah, it is. It's such a it's such an amazing thing. Food um, as a you know we really use as a as a cultural bridge here in our town. We don't have a lot of ethnic diversity in Missoula. Um, we don't have a lot of um, you know culturally different food, and so. Uh, that name it, it definitely is is special to us, um, and it and it does it it functions to bring people together and to build community. You know, it it really started with us when when families first got here. We were getting bikes and donations, coats and soccer cleats, and all these donations from our community that people wanted to give to these families, and so we'd drive by their house and drop off a bike and you know, the minute you knock on the door, you're ushered in and you're sat at a table and you're, doesn't matter if it's, you know, 10 in the morning or 3.30 in the afternoon, uh, you're sat at a table and you're fed food. And we just experienced all this incredible food and incredible generosity and really quickly started to see that a lot of these families have been under the care of some aid organization or another for, for years, if not decades. And so their arrival in the U.S. isn't just an arrival to safety and freedom, but it's also an arrival to a path to be able to give back. And the easiest way, the you know, quickest entry for these families is to be able to, to cook and provide meals and hospitality and generosity to people. And we just really saw that and felt that. And plus, the, the food was so incredible and so different than what we had here in Missoula. Hmm. Um, we knew that we had to create a bigger path to share for, for refugees and immigrants to be able to share with the broader community, not just us and our volunteers. So that's kind of how it started. And, you know, it's interesting because so, so many of the other organizations that uh, I've spoken with and that uh, we're talking to today as well um, on this episode have said very similar things that in interfacing with the refugee community in one way, shape or form, when you come into someone's house, you're always welcomed with this generosity, this hospitality and food is always the centerpiece. And that really has kind of sparked uh, that uh, idea to, to utilize food, to, to bring people together and, and also to empower uh, the new communities uh, coming into uh specific areas around the country. Um, I'm curious to know, um, as you mentioned earlier, there's not a whole lot of maybe ethnic diversity um, in Missoula. What kind of um, backgrounds, refugee communities uh, that um, are coming there? I know you, uh, you mentioned Syrian, um, but what other, uh, what other groups are, are represented there now in Missoula? Yeah, the majority of the refugee families living here are of Congolese descent. Mm. Yeah, 
they're kind of the diaspora of Africa at this point, right? So they've been in camps and in cities all in countries all over Africa, um, but they're of Congolese descent originally. So um, and then we also have um, families from Eritrea, mm-hmm. um, which is a, for the listeners who don't know, it's a small African country um, on the Red Sea, right up next to Ethiopia. Um, and there's actually some continued... Uh, yeah, conflict going on right now in northern Ethiopia that's affecting a lot of our Eritrean families who were in refugee camps there. Um, and then we also have, um, as you said, folks from Syria, as well as a handful of families from Iraq. Well, that, that's a, a definitely uh, diverse and, uh, you know, incredible cultural um, uh, tapestry there that's now uh, in Missoula. I can only imagine the menus that you've put together. Um, so tell us about what United We Eat offers now uh, and how they engage um, to bring this incredible food from these these different countries uh, to uh, the other residents of Missoula and beyond. Sure. Yeah. You know, it looks a little different right now sure. because of COVID, um, as I'm sure many, many places do. Um, before COVID, we we piloted a weekly meal takeout program. Um, a couple summers ago, and and basically you pre-order a different menu each week, cooked by a different chef each week, um, and then that that meal is made in a commercial kitchen, and you pick it up, um, you know, four or five days later. Um, so that is a that's what we're calling United We mm-hmm. at Home, and right now that's our our program that we're running before. COVID, we also did monthly supper clubs. And that was a really fun thing. We'll start up again, but it was a chance for a sit down meal with people you may or may not know. Um, And we would uh, kind of take over local restaurants in partnership with their their chefs and their owners um, each month to to provide this beautiful sit down meal. Um, that was kind of a communal family style meal. So we we really hope to start that back up again. Um, and then we also do holiday cookie sales. Um, and those are really fun. We do about four years. So Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, and then a then a Christmas one. Um, and those those are great because, you know, all when we just do our monthly supper clubs or our United We Eat at Home, it's just one chef that we're engaging with each time. But with the cookie sales, it's come come one, come all, you know. So we have 14 or 15 different types of cookies we offer um, for those sales. So those are really fun. And, you know, we we did take a break the first half of 2020 as we were trying to figure out how we how we run all this programming with COVID. And I'm really, really proud to say that we were able to get it up and running and we were able to figure it out and do that safely. And just from September 2020 through December, when we had this United We Eat at Home program up and running, we were able to put over $25,000 right back in the pockets of the chefs that we work with. And especially on a year like this, it feels amazing to be able to do that. And, you know, that's not soft landing we're obviously paying the chefs, but that money's coming from our community, right? Like the money's coming from Missoulians who are supporting this and paying for the food and offering up tips and everything. So, you know, we're just really grateful that we can be that bridge. Um, And then lastly, we've started to do some virtual cooking classes and those have been incredible. Um, 
we, you know, and you can access those. Your your listeners can access those from anywhere in, in the world. Um, Please tell us how. Please tell us how. Yeah, so um, we are offering virtual cooking classes right from our website. You can sign up. Um, they're super affordable. Um, it's Our website is United We Eat MT, like Montana, unitedweeatmt.org. And um, we have some really great ones coming up. Actually, a new board member of ours, Tenzin, she's from Tibet, and her and her mom are going to be cooking momos, which are incredible Tibetan dumplings. Um, so we're really excited about that one. That sounds fantastic. I really, I've never heard of, of those dumplings. And now I'm very curious, as I'm sure a lot of people are as well in Missoula and beyond, which is the wonderful thing uh, about, um, you know, being able to offer virtual cooking classes because, you know, uh, folks across the country may not have the, the opportunity to, you know, eat, eat and try these, these, you know, different cuisines from around the world. But, uh, you know, through the magic of the internet, <laughs> we're, we're able to, to get that exposure, which is just amazing. Uh, have, have the online cooking classes been popular? They've been really popular. Um, we had a Pakistani cooking class um, a couple months ago, and you know we had like about eighty people that signed up, which is just so cool. For, like I said, from all over. Um, I know, you know, this virtual stuff is really kind of one of the silver linings of a really, really hard time um, that we've all kind of learned how to connect to the to the larger world a little bit better virtually, but. Yeah, excited to be able to share that. Thank you. We're going to keep our eye peeled uh, on United We Eat um, and on uh, Soft Landing Missoula. Eat Your Heartland Out is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.